Okay, we're on. So hi, everybody. It is Artemis Rose and I have Gwyneth Marion here. And today for today's tea chat, we're going to be talking about the inner critic. And the recording of this will end up being uploaded to Embody You podcast. And I really am thankful. I mean, I'm excited about today's topic because I feel like um, this topic is such a, you know, the first thing that comes up is barrier, but it's also portal, like portal towards a really owning our power and really stepping into who we are. And I think once we become more intimate with our inner critic and really discern and hear and listen what's really going on, like underneath, um, it, it really can be a, a catalyst for um, really stepping into who we are. And so um, I thought of Gwyneth because I, <laughs> like, I connected with her last year. And I don't know, she's just somebody that I immediately just like, just a soul connection. And I love a lot of the stuff that she creates online has a lot to do with like, you know, authenticity, embodiment, somatic somatic work and really diving in and and stepping into your fullness and and wholeness and so she's a creative mind coach that helps individuals heal from their past and remember their wholeness she's also a somatic practitioner and she's currently training to become a somatic erotic educator that guides women who deeply yearn to claim their unique erotic expression and who they came here to be so i'm really excited to to dive in today uh, I wanted to give you the space, Gwyneth. Was there anything that you wanted else you wanted to add about who you are or like what you do? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that sums it up. I I um a lot of the work that I do is uh, around shadow healing and really helping people remember who they are, their true, authentic self, and claiming that. And then living from that place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like <laughs> where the work is with the shadows for sure. Okay. So let's, so let, yeah, let's just like dive into, let's see, um, the inner critic. <laughs> like what for you, what, what is the inner critic for you? Mm. Uh, well, the inner critic to me is the internalized voice of our early experiences and it's this it's often there's extremes of an inner critic inner critic and what my relationship to my inner critic for a long time was this inner bully this bully that demeans me that puts me down that tries to um tries to rule my life basically tries to mod to monitor everything that I do. And for a lot of people, I'm sure, unless you're enlightened, <laughs> has had some kind of experience with the inner critic, you know? Um, and so it, we create it actually when we're younger. We create it because someone, somewhere along the lines, someone told us or shamed us for expressing or for making a mistake or for a perceived failure and we internalize that and we take that and orient ourselves to how we think we should be yeah that's powerful right there <laughs> like the the thinking and the shooting <laughs> like i usually i like to say when i connect with clients is like we got to be mindful to not shit ourselves <laughs> because it sometimes sounds like shit ourselves, mm -hmm. but, shit ourselves. but no, I mean, um, that's, I really resonate what you're sharing about how it's something, um, you know, from our environment, whoever's around us, that it starts from a young age where it's, we internalize these voices that start bullying us and it's really not. <laughs> like our our actual essence, our pure essence, and our actual voice, but and we come into the world already being whole, like already being in our fullness and our expression, right? And then it's like what you said: it's when we start having these conditions and these 
judgments and these um the the shaming uh remarks around who we are how we operate uh, that's where the voice can really really like originate so i'm curious like what are your thoughts around uh what that looks more like um mm -hmm. yeah what do you what do you think that looks more like yeah so for me and from from what i see in others and just in general like growing up in like the western world that really values like productivity we really um we equate our our worth with how much we can do how much we can get done our profit you know how productive we can be how um successful we can be and what i see the inner critic often comes out as this perfectionistic um person you know needing to be per everything needs to be perfect for me it was everything needed if it's not perfect then i'm unworthy and that that's like the underlying belief of the inner critic it's i'm unworthy I'm... and so the inner critic what it's really trying to do is it's trying to come into wholeness it's actually trying to make you lovable it's trying to get you to do a certain thing to get love to get acceptance and so it's not you know in a radical sense if you we could look at it as it's actually not an enemy it's actually trying to orient itself so that you can become whole but it's just in this really weird distorted way <laughs> yeah i love how you said about it's not the enemy and it's something that i think <clears throat> in forming a relationship and befriending with the like the curiosity because like you said it's it is like a it developed as a protective survival like mechanism and operating and so yeah yeah i mean i think it's because i think being on the path too it's like when when or at least i can speak from my experience but i've also witnessed it in clients too it's like starting to become more conscious then even like um the conscious path you can shame yourself with it because like if you're not if you're not evolved enough, if you're not enlightened enough, if you're not like, um, <laughs> if you don't love yourself enough, like I had a client, this oh, was yeah. like a couple of months ago and she kind of got caught up in um, comparing her journey, like seeing how her friend um, loved herself. She's like, yeah, my friend like really loves herself a lot more than I do. And we kind of like started kind of exploring that, but it's interesting how it can still kind of take, it can masquerade um, with these like conditions and these expectations of how you need to be. Um, mm -hmm. And I really love how you simplified it. And it it is, it is with this core of like being unworthy with the shame and, yeah. and it's, it operates to really help us do the right thing, say the right thing, act a certain way operate in this way so that way we don't experience rejection or we don't experience those existential deaths which as a kid exactly. like you have to depend on your like the parents so it makes complete sense as to why you know like it it feels that like um it feels it feels that strongly to like really not obey or live up to these standards yeah yeah and i i um, it it's so interesting because we fear we fear rejection from the outside world which is why we create this you know i love how you said it's it's a it's a protective mechanism it's a protective mechanism side but what we're actually doing is we're rejecting ourselves. We're actually denying and we're shaming ourselves because we don't want that to happen on the outside mm -hmm. from others. And so what it really, <laughs> what it really comes down to is like how to manage this and heal this aspect because it's not who we are. Like, I love how you, it's not our true essence because 
we are already whole. We come into this earth already whole. And so much of this work and this path is about just remembering that and stripping away those parts of ourselves that we have denied and, or that we have rejected. And the inner critic, it's trying to, like I said, it's trying to orient itself into wholeness. It's just doing it in this really distorted way. Mm -hmm. And so you can look at it as like a child that's like, it doesn't, it, it's not fully developed. And so our job is to develop it in a way that it's where it's healthy because we don't want to completely eradicate it either because the inner critic can actually, you know, healthy shame and then toxic shame, healthy shame actually aligns us. It's, it's a, it's a emotion that helps us align us with our values. And when we step out of our values, we, um, you know, that's when we can experience that healthy shame to orient ourselves back right mm -hmm. within that alignment. And, but toxic shame is, Oh, you are an, I'm an inherently like a bad person and I'm inherently worthless, which is not the truth. And mm -hmm. so, so much of that work is like, like reminding ourselves and continuously reminding ourselves that that's not who we are. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> like everything you're sharing, I'm like, yes, how it's not really who we are in our core. And at the same time, um, with the the shaming going on and the the protective mechanism goes on where we kind of like get hard on ourselves and it's like as if we're kind of rejecting ourselves before like others can reject us. I'm curious for you, um, where actually, no, this is actually what I wanted to bring up. Cause you mentioned a good thing about healthy shame and then the other shame. So where would be the line of like, cause there's guilt, right there. Like they also say like, there's healthy guilt too, right? Where it's like, okay, you feel, you feel bad for doing something. So for you, what is the difference from like healthy guilt and healthy shame? Healthy guilt, healthy shame. Yeah, yeah. Um, so healthy, healthy shame for me, from how I experience healthy shame is when I un like, for example, if like I unintentionally hurt someone, or um, let's say, let's say it could be as, as small and in like seemingly insignificant as like being late. And so for me, for a very long time, like I was a chronic, like chronically late person and the toxic shame, you know, before I really like started healing that the toxic shame was like, you just cannot get it together. Like you're, you are just, you're lazy, <laughs> you're, you're never on time. And like, you're just the terrible person. And, you know, it, it, it was trying to do um it was trying to help me the best way it knows how but for me healthy shame moving and healing that aspect was really about oh like i'm not a worthless person because i'm late <laughs> i'm not a bad person because i'm late however like it's important for me to be on time because out of respect for other people and so that's that's the healthy shame is saying hey you know, it's thinking, it's also like thinking of other people, like thinking, considering others. And that's, that's where um, healthy shame for me is, feels, um, feels like accurate and, and like that it makes sense why that would show up. If that, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, completely makes sense. And I mean, I know this is pretty common. I hear it. I mean, I've read it and heard it um a lot is where it's like guilt is no wait shame is like thinking well here's a distinction like that i read and hear in other places like shame is thinking there's something wrong with you whereas guilt is like knowing you did something wrong yeah but i'm wondering even in this discussion yeah. it's like separating stuff there's healthy shame and healthy guilt i wonder how much of it what do you see any difference between though the two like the two like healthy guilt and healthy shame or do you kind of feel like they're just intertwined together yeah that's 
That's a really good question. I think that I think that it is. Um, I think that it is guilt. Like I think that it can be, and 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 like chronic guilt is something that I have also experienced with the toxic shame because I think they're they both are they come together as like a package <laughs> in a sense. Um, but I think healthy guilt, yeah, like healthy guilt is saying like, oh, like you know, um, I you know unintentionally hurt this person. And, you know, I should feel, or not that I should feel, but because I feel this way, like I want to actually like do better. I want to actually be better. And I want to actually work on that, you know, whatever it was that I did work on that part of me so that I don't do that again. And so that I don't hurt the people around me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple things going on in my mind, which is one being is that, you know, when we're connected to our essence, innately, we already have connection to our conscious, like towards our right or intuition that alar- like alerts us when we're not acting in integrity, when we're not acting in our values. And which is why it's so important and it's so unique, our own unique expression and our own authentic journey instead of all these other outside messages and like conditions and expectations of like how you need to act, how you need to be, or this is the right way. When it's like, because a lot of those messages can form as an inner critic <laughs> where it can be like a, it could be difficult to distinguish like what is your value or like what is, you know, versus like what is actually true for you in that. And another thing that came up is mm. I think of like um, collapsing and shame, right? Where it's, because um, as you were sharing, I was thinking of like, yeah, when we kind of get into the talk, to- the toxic shame is there's that collapse in in the nervous system and even even being able to show up and just receive and like connect yeah. and expand and integrate that part of ourselves that maybe like we got you know we acted out from you know that there's this part of us that's really like needing to be listened to loved and integrated but our inability to be be with that that part of ourselves and with the shame, especially if it's such a conditioned response that like every time you make a mistake or every time you have a specific trigger, it puts you in that, that collapse response. And then, and then you can just spiral more back into, you know, whether it could be like with the depression. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It it can, it can, it, you know, it, it is like this, um, you know, when it's chronic, when it's like the chronic toxic inner critic, it will, um, you will collapse into like helplessness and powerlessness. Oh, I can't do anything right. Then I shouldn't even try. And then it does turn in and it does turn in and form into depression. And then from that place, we really can't help ourselves, right? Because we just, we think that like we, nothing that we can do is, is right. And so why even bother? Why even try? I should just give up now, right? And so the inner critic is, it's trying to, it's, it also wants to keep us safe from taking risks that may, you know, may, may end up being that people don't like it. You know, so much about like being our authentic selves is that like, we have to be okay with that other people like not liking us (laughs) and not, not being for us and like not, and not letting that be personal like taking that personally and still showing up for ourselves. Like the inner critic is so fearful of that. It doesn't, it, it wants to be accepted, but really um, what I found is that like, it also really deeply wants to be accepted by you. And that's like, that's the work is like, we think that it's other people and to a degree it is, but when we start to love ourselves and we start to, um, just practice like compassion for that aspect. Like it, it's, it just kind of starts to melt away and it starts to get your, you know, get your validation and your um, acceptance. And that's um, yeah, that's the work. <laughs> oh yeah. That is the work with the, the self-compassion. And I think the more that we just integrate parts of ourselves, right. The parts of ourselves, kind of how you, referenced earlier that were split off or disowned or parts that were bad you know like oh you shouldn't (laughs) like you shouldn't be 
you should never show anger or mm. I don't know any other parts, right? Um, there ends up becoming more, the more of the integration, the more connection to our center where we're able to actually kind of witness, even when the inner critic does want to come up, it's like we're able to witness, witness it more and bring that loving compassion to it. Yes. Yes. And yeah, that's, that's what I've found to be extremely helpful is um, practicing mindfulness and actually disidentifying with that part. And so being the witness, being the witness of inner critic and not identifying with it, like, so, you know, extremely. And once that space, you actually start to, um, you know, the more and more space that you create between that inner critic and who you are, the truth of who you are, the witness, um, you're, you're able to, the story, you're able to drop the story and it's, it, it, it doesn't become such like a part of your day-to-day -day life. And you're able to say, hey, and when it shows up, it's, you know, when it shows up, you're able to be, because so much I feel like, especially in like pop psychology is, is you know, when they, when people talk about, you know, healing the inner critic, it's so much about like silencing it and pushing it away. And that to me like is not, that to me hasn't been helpful. Like I have tried to do that. I have tried to like ignore it and like just continue on my day. And that's worked like in the moment maybe, but like long-term sustainably, like really truly like integrating and loving my whole full spectrum self, that hasn't been like a sustainable strategy. And so when it shows up, it's like, oh, hey, <laughs> like you can actually start to like have a conversation with it. And even when I, when I, what I do um, is I, I put it in a chair and I personify it. And I've, so I put it in a chair and I, I have a converse, back and forth conversation with it. And that's where you can also create that space between that and who you are, like the truth of who you are. Yeah, I love that. Externalizing it and <clears throat> yeah. yeah, really getting into a conversation with it because there's there has to be like a a relationship with all parts of ourselves and even the inner critic like we can't we can't begin to like really honor and love ourselves and embody more of ourselves if we bring this like re reactive rejection um and disownment towards the inner critic yeah 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 the more that yeah. we um, the more that we reject it actually the louder it gets like and the, because it's it wants your attention it wants to be in the driver's seat. And so when you reject it, when you ignore it, it's already like, it's already going to over, it's gonna overpower you because whatever you put in your shadow, whatever you reject, it's, it's always going to come back and it's always going to come back in more extreme, more powerful ways, so. Yeah, yeah I like how you said about uh, not, how it's always, you know, it's always there. And if, you know, we're not listening to it, our shadows, like continue, <laughs> like they just continue being there. And I think that's where maybe the more that we ignore it and put it in the shadows and not have a relationship to it, not listen to it. That's where a lot of like excess substance abuse or eating disorders or, you know, all these addictions or any of that. It's, it's kind of, um, I don't want to say masquerades, but it's like this extreme form of like uh, disconnection and like, um, and it, it that's where the self-hatred, it goes into like these self-hatred spirals of like really not listening and, and, and hearing like our pain and what we're needing. Right. Right. Yeah. Because um, that, again, that aspect of ourselves is trying to, um, trying to be it's it wants love it wants acceptance and so when we reject that and like we we, we just try to like silence it and ignore it it's basically like again we're just like rejecting a like a part of ourselves that wants integration that wants to be whole and um yeah yeah absolutely. yeah i like 
I, I like though how you kind of have made it a point of how it's so important for the acceptance of self peace because yeah. I think that's where it's so key is like say for instance like with anger right like I know even for me probably about five years ago I had <laughs> like I had a mentor maybe it was like six years ago now I had a mentor where I um he he was kind of like also like a therapist for me too and he helped me learn to love my anger like my angry side like my ang angry part because i really struggled with it right um because i wanted to be the peacemaker and i just wanted to like just like play get everybody but the thing is is that even though he accepted this part of this this part of me, I still had to learn to fully integrate it for myself because when I would go into spaces and begin to show this part of myself, when maybe there wasn't that acceptance still from the outside, that could have triggered me still into this shame spiral of feeling like, oh, <laughs> like there's something wrong with me. Oh, like I, the collapsing um, energy still, you know? So I appreciate that you, you share that because I think it's really important in the the, the acceptance piece and the integration piece of owning these specific parts of ourselves that maybe we've disowned or split off and really making it sure it comes back back home within. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and anger is a huge one. Like, in, especially I feel like as women, we have been like socially conditioned out of feeling our anger and out of expressing our anger and i think as women it's i think it's su such an important piece to have a health like to um have a healthy relationship with your anger and not make it wrong because all of our emotions are valid you know it's how we choose to express them whether you know we don't want to be destructive in our anger, but it is a it is it is a like kind of a destructive energy because it will when you express it you disrupt you're disrupting the field and you're disrupting you know because you have to you you know whether it's because you want to stand up for yourself you have you're you're placing a boundary and you're saying no that's like a disruption in the field and so that's actually a good thing because that disruption actually is what births something new and that's and something that's aligned with your values and who you are and so i think anger is such an important piece that i feel so many women like feel shame around like i have felt shame around and that you know the inner critic is like hey you shouldn't be angry <laughs> what are you doing you know yeah. like you shouldn't be angry like um what's wrong with you <laughs> like <laughs> Right. So yeah, that's, that's, um, yeah, I'm glad yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't like, you shouldn't be angry. <laughs> like, like, why are you angry? You know? Um, I think that's really key, uh, in distinguishing like with the inner critic is just these, these conditions, once again, are expectations of like how you, you should be. So yeah. whatever messages you, you got growing up, like as a kid, you know, like, like we talked about right now with anger, that is a huge women. We're not <laughs> like, we're not supported. Anger's not even showed in a healthy, constructive way in society. And I see a lot of clients and I know for me too, in the past, I confused violence with anger. And I'm like, no, like the violence is what you choose to do <laughs> with the <laughs> anger, but the anger is not a bad emotion. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, a lot of the depression is anger turned inward and there needs to be a lot of um rage like a uh permission and I, there's so many people afraid of rage but it's um i mean and the problems that we see in the world with like gun violence and all that well that's that's like disowned unhealthy expressions of of rage but i also like to remind clients the violence you see in the world is no different from somebody who's addicted, who's harming themselves because that's turned inward. <laughs> like you have the openly outwardly displays of, of anger. And then you have, um, and then you have it inwardly. Yeah. Yeah. It's that inner, inner vi violence. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which also then can instill the subtle ways with the people pleasing too, right? Where it's like, okay, like I need to be a certain way um, in order to gain the approval. I have to. So yeah, I'm curious now that we're kind of bringing that up. I'm curious, like how you see the inner critic and like people pleasing, like the relationship between that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's another huge one for me is the people pleasing. And um, that was something that I've had to, that I've worked on for a long time. And I'm finally like, feel like I'm getting to that place where I'm, I'm no longer operating in that, you know, way. And um, it's, it's extremely liberating, but yeah, the people pleasing and the inner critic are they they absolutely because again the people pleaser um like the people pleaser aspect of someone is that they're just they're they're wanting love and acceptance. That's all that it comes down to is that like we are trying to get our needs needs met in the best way we know how and if you know the people pleaser is is so much about like denying our own needs and denying our all, all authentic voice to gain approval. And so the inner critic, especially, you know, within our relationships and within just society and how we move throughout the world is it's, it's trying to, um, it's trying to gain approval and it's going to do whatever it can to get that approval and it will be your it will be an inner bully <laughs> it will it will bully you into submission and um yeah so like so much about this work is is really um like knowing our value i think is extremely important like knowing our our true value and um it's a moment to moment practice. Oh yeah, it is. I mean, <clears throat> we're talking about all these concepts here, but really, I mean, that's why it's like such a, like an experiential embodied type of sensation type of awareness, because a lot of with my, a lot, at least I can speak from my personal experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of my inner critic and even like, healing from that and really um developing a relationship around that a lot of the times i wasn't explicitly like hearing these voices for myself it was just coming out in subtle behaviors and subtle ways that i wasn't even like being conscious right of like not not being grounded in my body not feeling and like and um so it's it is it is something that like it really comes back down to one. I know I kind of take this stance and I know you do too from the, like the somatic practitioner. Cause it's so different from like cog- more cognitive oriented um, practices that just kind of stay there where it's so focused on the mind of like, or, you know, uh, cog- changing your thoughts um, around yes. that. And I really feel like, in with the inner critic with with the um at least from a somatic experience it's not so much yes you can use the the inner dialogue but a lot of it is like really tending to the felt sense and like really um kind of like what you're saying it's a moment by moment type of relationship where i think practicing or bringing that loving acceptance towards whatever you're experiencing whatever like whatever sensations, whatever feelings, and and really digging deep and listening to the deeper needs of like what's actually going on. Absolutely, absolutely. I love that you bring that up because, you know, that, that has been another thing that I've, um, especially in my early journey of, you know, um, you know, develop, you know, developing, um, I used to definitely take the stance of like just changing my thoughts. Oh, if I just, you know, think positive thoughts. And if I just, you know, repeat these, these thoughts in my head about how I am a good person and, you know, it'll just magically, I'll just magically like won't feel um, that toxic shame anymore. 
And um, again, that can be like a subtle form of like avoiding the actual feelings, the actual emotions and the felt sense experience. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really getting in touch with the body's experience of how it how the the shame feels in the body so that because what you want to do is you want to move through it It has to move through the body so that we can actually release it so you know yeah staying in the mind um and being in the mind is like isn't an avoidance strategy often and um can can actually keep us stuck and hinder us from like moving forward and moving past those really uncomfortable emotions yeah, and I think shame is one of the most, probably one of the most challenging emotions for a lot of people um, to sit with, <laughs> like, right? Because, I mean, I think that's why it's so avoided so much because, um, yeah, it's 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 one of the, the hardest. And yet, it's what you have to sit through to fully, fully come out on the other side and integrate the experience and realizing, oh, like there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, I gave my power away or, oh, like I was, I needed this acceptance for myself because I think a lot of the triggers with shame too is going back to that integrity or the the value or the integrity piece of like when you're not in acting in integrity with yourself, like um, yeah. what's, what's true for you and, and yeah. instead outsourcing and and expressing these parts or whatever these parts of yourselves that when they don't get accepted and you get rejected it's like that that's where that automatic um you know the the inner critic can kind of come in um to kind of protect you from like okay see that part of yourself's wrong like this is why like this is why you know like you can't trust anybody or this is why you can't be yourself but instead of actually allowing maybe that experience, sitting with the sensation, sitting with the experience and realizing like that rejection can actually be the catalyst for you reclaiming like a part of yourself um, yeah. and where you get to protect, like that's where the anger comes in, right? Where it's like more that you begin to release and you sit with the triggers instead of collapsing in the the shame and collapsing in the inner critic and, and beating yourself up with with all of that it's like you hold yourself you hold the shame in it it dissipates the energy and then you realize there's that anger that begins to come up because it's not turned inward it's not collapsed or like in that and it begins to actually propel you like what you're saying like setting the boundaries and being like there's nothing wrong with me or like there's like, no, like, I don't get to give that part of myself to that person or this area or, hey, no, like this part of myself, there's nothing wrong with this part of myself at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, you know, we have our unique needs and uh, wants and we are allowed, you know, it's, it's about giving ourselves permission to take up space. Because the more that we take up space and the more that we allow ourselves to be our, like to express authentically, just to be our authentic selves, the more we are giving others permission to do the same. So the more that we love ourselves, the more that we stop rejecting um, parts of ourselves, whether it's for approval or um, acceptance, um, whatever it is. Um, the more that we do that, the more that we actually are giving space for other people to love themselves as well. And that's, um, yeah. And like, I think that, I think that what has been really helpful for me is that when the shame comes up, we like automatically, like for a really long time for me, it was like automatic, like, no, I need to push this down and I need to go and distract myself or I need to um you know be productive or whatever it whatever it was and what i found is that being with that felt sense felt sense experience being with that direct experience and also at the same time not being attached to it mm -hmm. not being attached to it in the sense that 
this is not who I am. These emotions are coming through my body, but they, they're not who I am. You know, I'm, I'm way more than that. I'm way, I'm way beyond the mind and I'm way beyond the body, but I'm also, but I'm also these things, you know? So it's about being with the whole experience and not rejecting any of it yet at the same time being un, like being, not being attached to the story. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, being with it and the, yeah, not getting attached to it. And I think one of the things came up is like, once again, like the nervous system, we're like regulating our nervous system, right. And creating safety in the body because it's yeah. even, even when you're in your power, um, if you're not fully regulated, you know, like if you're already super like expressive or whatever, but you're not saying the moment, like you're not regulated and you still choose to, um, express a certain part of yourself, uh, it, you can also get triggered by, um, you can get triggered by your, your environment, uh, because you're not being like as, you're not being as grounded and, and connected to yourself. And so it's kind of, it's kind of like, I, I can speak from my experience, right? Like, so I've in the past, I've been in spaces where I knew like there wasn't anything wrong with a specific part of myself. Right. But maybe my nervous system, it was still a little like, um, I would say a little like wound, wound up more. Right. And when I got like rejected into these spaces, it immediately made me feel like, um, I guess it brought up, like brought up some of the shame. Right. So I think there's so much, and I guess, so the reason why I'm bringing this up is there's so much to say of when you begin to own your power of how much can you really hold yourself and, and be safe in your body and regulating it. Even if you know cognitively, like there's like this part of yourself is okay. You've already given yourself permission to express this part of yourself, but it's how much can you actually still hold yourself from that like integrated place in terms of like the expression piece? Because mm -hmm. I think there's, in in a in this whole dance i think of um of coming home and like really integrating these parts it's like there's these you first are too afraid to go to go certain places to express certain parts of yourself because you thought of them as bad or whatever it is right or you've gotten messages from family that it's not okay and then there can be this polarizing experience where you give yourself full free range to express. Mm -hmm. But if there's that lack of attunement with yourself and your, your felt experience and that environment still doesn't give you. And I think that's still the inner child still seeking like that approval. Right. Um, mm -hmm. It could also be another triggering response uh, with the inner critic and shame. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a habitual response, right? So even if we know in our mind that, like, that, you know, we are, um, you know, we're okay and we're, we accept ourselves and we love ourselves and, you know, um, and even when we know in our mind when we're in an environment where, um, you know, we have done the cognitive work of, of accepting all parts of ourselves and expressing, our body is still still needs we still need to tend to our body in the sense that um our body is still going to um respond in the way that it, that it's always responded and so that's 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 a huge huge piece is that even if our environment is quote unquote safe because we're operating in this new way in this new um you know we're shifting shifting the way that we see ourselves our body has to come with it and our body is still going to act out and maybe not feel safe, you know, to express because it's, that's how, you know, it's always, it's always been that way. It's always been um, like, you know, for instance, like the people pleasers so much like within the nervous system is about fawning. And if we don't feel safe in our environment, if our, your natural response is to be a people pleaser, then your nervous system is going to act in a way where, it will try to get you to um, fawn others 
and to to get approval from others so really yeah like the nervous system and the body is key in all of this too because we can think all day about you know changing our thoughts and um doing talk therapy and and all mm -hmm. that and that's all great and well and i, I don't want to reject that either because that's a right. important piece but really it's like being with the, being with the body doing somatic work in the sense that we're really holding ourselves and holding the whole experience and not making it wrong but just being that witness to it as as well being the witness oh i noticed that my nervous system i noticed that i'm really nervous right now and even though my environment is safe my body is responding in this way and just getting curious about it and like like bringing compassion like really bringing like felt sense like being not in the like cognitive compassion mm -hmm. but like learning to be with our bodies and sometimes that that could even be as simple as like giving ourselves a hug mm -hmm. like just holding ourselves and you know it's it's so it's so until our body is so intelligent you know and so we can work with it and that's how you know we come more and more into like embodiment of you know this new way of seeing ourselves mm -hmm. yeah i love how you spoke to how compassion is <clears throat> like just hugging ourselves or just really being holding ourselves and, and being with our body because I think once again I don't want to discount the cognitive either because there are very benefit benefit pieces in terms of mindset work too and for for the for clients who have so much trauma that they can't yet go to somatic type of work you know like I know 10 years ago when I started on my journey, like I wasn't ready to do somatic, <clears throat> somatic work. Like I needed the cognitive, like the CBT and all of that. Right. So that's not to discount that at all. Um, but I do, I still am a firm believer of like regulating the nervous system and then allowing the mindset work to kind of flow from there. But I yeah. think a lot of compassion is still focused on like, um, there can still be a misconception that it has to still be this like cognitive process like a leg of like how do yeah. i be compassionate with myself when it's like <laughs> it could be as simple as just holding yourself and i remember i had a client like a month ago where mm -hmm. she's like i can't believe that like she's like i hold myself all the time like this now and she's like i can't believe nobody ever told me this my whole life. and it's so easily <laughs> it's so easy and accessible to like just do to be able to just like hold yourself in this space, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so, that's what's so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know we're kind of going to have to wrap up soon. So I kind of want to just like bring it all home. Um, so yeah. So the inner critic is, you know, a lot of these voices, um, you know, that we got, received messages growing up about how we needed to be um, in order to be worthy because obviously the way we we came up we grew up or how we were certain parts of ourselves or experiences got invalidated rejected shunned and as a result we ended up splitting off parts of ourselves or you know like um, only learning that specific parts of ourselves were okay and so as a result the inner critic kind of became becomes and had became this like um this voice that really uh or voices that really keeps you in check keeps you in line to make sure that you don't rock the boat that you don't like <laughs> that you don't get rejected or that that you're um you're enough and that you're you're lovable and so i'm curious um with the shame piece like how do you see in wrapping it up like how do you see once again for listeners the relationship between shame and the inner critic well the inner critic is the 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 inner voice of um you know uh internalized um you know from our past experiences and then if we don't act in that al aligned alignment with the inner critic if we don't go along with the inner critic story 
what um, tends to happen is that shame, you know? So if we, let's say like, you know, again, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Mm -hmm. um, perfectionism is something that I've had to um, really um, do a lot of work around um, releasing and healing. And, you know, if I did something in, in, in that wasn't in alignment with the inner critics agenda, the shame is what would uh, like arise. And so and the shame would come up and the inner critic would get even louder in the sense that it was trying to get me to do what it wants so that I don't actually, um, so that I, so that I, you know, I'm, you know, seen as like worthy or, or, or I feel lovable or I'm accepted. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's so much about working with that shame too. Because that's the driver of the inner critic is the shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it's like you're not sitting with that shame that comes up with the their inner critic, then, then how does it, to you, how does it end up, like for somebody who's struggling with their inner critic, right, where they didn't live up to, let's just say perfectionism is a great example because like also I like I resonate with that too, right? So let's just use like an example of, um, I don't know, um, maybe I'm trying to think it could be like, maybe the amount of work you didn't get done, maybe your to-do list, right? That's a common one. Like, I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. So if somebody <clears throat> didn't get everything to done in their to-do list, um, how would you encourage them? Like, what would that look like for them to, if that was their trigger, right? And they start to yeah. feel like really awful. Yeah. How would you encourage them um, to be able to sit with that and to relate to that differently? Mm. Yeah, I would. Um, there's a few ways that you could work with it and I think one um, really helpful way would be to recognize and find the evidence to where you because that shame it's extremely uncomfortable to feel if we don't if we if we don't um, get all the things to do, done on our to-do list and that shame arises what we can do is um, just pause, just pause and find the, and, and feel the emotion and then also find the evidence to where you did actually win that day. Like find the evidence, turn it around and try to find the evidence to where you, um, where you actually did succeed. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you actually are changing like the neural pathways in your body and in, in your, in your brain to, um, to not beat yourself up for just not getting done everything that you, you wanted to get that done that day. Yeah. I love that. You said a pause and to kind of find the exceptions around that. And as we're even talking about what's coming up too, is that I think a lot of, breaking free from shame too. And well, and as we're kind of deconstructing like these messages with the inner critic, all these rules, these societal messages, right? Because if you don't know that actually rest is important, like if you're just going about your day, <laughs> like, or your life and you never, you never heard or knew that actually you need rest. Like, um, your, your worth is not based off of how much you get done. I mean, I think that's so important. The community we surround ourselves by the information that we intake, right, to kind of shift that, those narratives of the inner critic. I know a, like a, a huge part of when I work with clients and even my own personal work, right, which I'm probably sure you resonate is like, when I started being around people who were loving and compassionate to me, and who started to like influence me in a positive way with different perspectives, different things that it started to deconstruct, wait, what? Anger's not bad, wait, what? I like my worth is not based off of like everything I get done. Like, wait, what I'm allowed to be like essential or wait, what I'm allowed to make mistakes. Like all these, these layers and these, um, messages, uh, 
are really important to deconstruct from the outside these rules because kind of going back to what you're saying, taking that pause and then being able to feel it. And once you feel it enough, then you're able to like reevaluate, like kind of like what you're saying is that you find the exceptions. Okay. Like what did I do? Right. Like, you know, I'm not just a to-do list. Like there's more to that. And I would continue adding is like, um, is sometimes that feeling can be a catalyst towards making a change in your life too, right? Where, you know, maybe you're like, okay, I need to make a change. Like this isn't working. Like, what do I, do I need to set a boundary somewhere? Do I need to set a boundary for myself? Do I need to ask for extra help? Because maybe I'm, there's too much on my to-do list that I can't, (laughs) like, I can't do it all. And to hold myself to that high expectation is like ridiculous, right? So there's definitely a, (laughs) even though I brought up this, this, this aspect, there's a lot to like be said in this response, but I'm glad it came up because I think it's a common one that mm-hmm. everybody like struggles with or deals with to a degree, right? <laughs> like not getting to do their to-do list. So, yeah. 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 That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I, would, I would say that, um, you know, we're, we're, there's no such thing as like perfect. That's, <laughs> That's the whole thing is that there's no such thing as perfect and your mistakes are actually can be a beautiful like they're a beautiful part of the process of becoming who you are and be and realizing who you are like the mistakes are like the, the that is like the perfection in in all of it at the same time so it's you know are these perceived failings you know because we have these ideals, like once we actually start to strip down from those standards and like actually um, recognize like what's ours and like what's societies and what's the cultures and what's our families. And, you know, we, we recognize that that's not who we are. We actually give ourselves permission to, to move throughout the world. That's complete. Like in, like, like you said, like maybe we need to take change. Maybe we need to have a boundary because we operate from such a different place when we come into our wholeness and there's not so much this pressure to be this perfect ideal person because we already know that we're whole and complete yes i love that we're ending around this with the mistakes piece because it is the mistakes that make us us like how are you supposed to even know about who you are like what you want in life or what a lot of times i tell clients too i'm like just try it. And if and in the worst case scenario, you realize you don't, that's not what you want. And like, great, you got more clear on like what it is you actually want. Right. It's, yeah. a, it's definitely a part of the process, um, around that. And, and I think the perfectionism can get in the way of, of being able to take those risks and, and, um, and, and a lot of it goes back to safety again in the body. You know, it's like, if we don't really feel safe within ourselves to hold ourselves in that, then it's really hard to take risks. So, okay, cool. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so glad you came on, Gwyneth. Thank you yeah. so much for um, joining me. I wanted to ask you, was there any one last piece of encouragement or tool or advice that you'd like to leave listeners with before we end? Yeah. Um, hmm. The inner critic is not um, the enemy. And you can actually um, develop it and work with it in a way where it actually becomes your ally. And that's, that's, I think, is the greatest gift that you can give yourself is, um, is making the inner critic your ally and not your enemy. Because at the end of the day, it, it really is um, trying to um, come into wholeness the best way it knows how. And our job you know, the parts of us, you know, our true self, our wise self knows better than the inner critic, (laughs) you know, knows that we are whole and that, you know, we don't have to um, um, create these standards and these, these unrealistic expectations um, for ourselves. And um, we can work with it. We can work with it in the way that it actually helps us and guides us to, um, a deeper path of, of um, self-realization and, and love. 
Yes. I love that. Befriending the inner critic and loving it, <laughs> like loving it and just softening. I mean, and that's a lot of us. We come into who we are and with our wholeness, it's like that unconditional acceptance and softening towards whatever mm. we're noticing, whatever we're experiencing. And that's really powerful. So in case anybody wants to like follow you or work with you, is there any information that you want to, to leave? Yeah. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can send me a DM, a friend request me. My, my Facebook is Gwyneth Marion. And then you can also find me on Instagram and my Instagram handle is the dragon within underscore. Beautiful. And, and then yeah. <clears throat> was there anything that you offer specifically that uh, you'd like to inform any listeners around the way you work or what you offer in terms of your work? Yeah. So I do. Um, I actually do one-on-one -on -one work and um I am just finishing up and graduating from my somatic erotic educator. And that is um, a lot of embodiment work and somatic work and really, really tapping into your full essence and your full being. And it's, it's so much about like um, the work that I do is so much about like just coming back to our state of aliveness, our erotic state of aliveness that's always been here. It's just, it's been forgotten or it's been pushed down. And um, it's it's um, about coming into the body. That's, that's really what my whole work is around is coming into the body and um, uh, realizing your, your true authentic self from that place. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me on, on for today, Gwyneth. And for all the listeners, I appreciate you also listening. And yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Bye. Thank you.